بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا المبارك ويان سورة الصافات سورة نمبر 37 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصافات صفة الزاجرات زجرة فالتاليات ذكرة إن إلهكم لواحد السورة begins with three oaths Qasim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking an oath and swearing by three groups of angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes oath and swears by his creation. Whereas from our perspective, the creation should be taken an oath in the name of the Creator. Uh, wallahi, my Allah, uh, Billahi, Tallahi, wa Rabbil Kaaba, by the Lord of the Kaaba, and so on. So human, human beings, they swear by higher authority and they place their honor in that higher uh, authority. And that is the qasam and the oath of human beings. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath, there is no one there higher than him. So how is he going to take an oath? So he takes an oath by his creation, which is a means of communication. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take an oath by his angels and this one was Safat and Wadhariyat and other ayat of the Quran Nazi'at So since the angels are the highest uh, creation he takes an oath through them but he also takes an oath through time and measures of time Wal-Fajr he also takes an oath through the day and night والفجر, والليلي, and then والشمس والقمر, uh, by the heavens والبروج, والطارق, and then he also takes an oath in the name of time itself declining time then on occasion he'll take an oath by his terrestrial creation also by the running horses so Allah takes an oath uh, in the name of horses also so here that it was in the style of the Arabs to take oaths as part of their speech as part of their narrative as part of their folklore and their songs and their poetry. 
and everything else Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the same uh, symbol or the same type of language in order to communicate with human beings that he takes an oath so the ulama of bayan and other parts of the speech they say that it is to show the importance of that creation that he takes an oath that this is a creation worth thinking of worth reflecting about worth honoring worth observing so that the mind of the listener and the reader goes to that creation and sees how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has appropriated his wisdom and appropriated his uh, uh, creation and creativity through those creation in which he takes an oath so it's the same rule here as we apply in this creation which is the angels so the angels here are of three types that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the first is wasafa by the angels who stand in rows meaning in devotion and in ibadah and in their ranks and files and in their distribution of affairs and commands and their arrangement into platoons and columns and all of that legions if you want as the ayah later on in this surah uh, will also come that the angel will say that indeed we are all arranged we are all in rows we are in saf meaning that we are in columns and platoons and legions and we are organized and and we know who is who and then the thousands and thousands of angels that exist in the universe they're all organized this way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that he swears by these angels that are in rows and in ranks and files all of that is included in the word soft this to show the order and the organization of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Uh, and also the order and the organization in the heavens that the heavens are guarded and the heavens are regulated and the heavens are organized this way and human beings must appreciate this organization as a sign that Allah is one which is the jawab of the qasm which comes in ayah number four فَالزَّجِرَاتِ hmm? yeah. زَجْرَاتِ And by those angels uh, that uh, deter, uh, and those angels that warn, and those angels that threaten uh, in a very threatening way. So now, there's no real one-word translation for the word zajar and zajirat. Who are these angels that warn and they threaten and they propel and they dispel and all of that, okay? which is what your translator, your friend of you is trying to say through his uh, explanatory translation. It's not a literal translation, it's explanatory. So he's trying to explain what this word zajar implies and what it entails and what it includes and so on. So those angels uh, that come as, uh, you know, <coughs> meaning giving people warnings 
and those angels that drive clouds, clouds are warning, and those angels that bring the winds, and the winds are warning, and all of this to show human beings that they are being followed and they are being observed and they are being monitored and the angels uh, want to warn them and to threaten them that if they don't do things the way the angels are arranged in the way the way angels are arranged and how they are filed and how they are organized then they will also unfortunately meet their fate so this is a group of angels and this also should lead the reader to believing that Allah is one. That all of this organization and orchestration has to come from one source. And this is how uh, we take from the Qasam to the purpose of the Qasam, which is Tawheed. By those angels that recite the means of dhikr and through a dhikr and so on. So these are the angels that are engaged in ibadah 24-7. Some of them are in qiyam, some of them are in ruku', some of them are in sujood, some of them are in dhikr, some of them have assigned dhikr, some of them do the dhikr of Allah as they're carrying the throne of Allah, and some of them do the dhikr of Allah as they exist in each heaven, and some of them, they do the dhikr of Allah by following those who make dhikr in this world, so anything that has to do with dhikr, there is an organized group of angels, an army of angels, that this is what they do. So all of these modes of ibadah and worship should lead the reader to believe that Allah is one. So this is the purpose of the qasm, known as the jawab of the qasm. Inna ilahakum lawahid, indeed your Lord and your ilah and the one whom you should worship he is one he is single he is alone and that all of this multiplicity <laughs> and this diversity in one species is a sign of allah's creation and the creator is one so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing the diversity in the angels first to show that they are all arranged and organized and then to show two groups one group is there to warn and threaten and the other group is to maintain dhikr and to observe dhikr and this is how their universe works the universe of the angels works on doing what allah wants them to do that is their reason for existence and that is how they exist and remain by fulfilling the command of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so all of this in the heavens has to be mimicked on earth by human beings. Now angels, although they are very intelligent and smart, uh, they do process what Allah tells them to do. They're not uh, robots, but at the same time they do not disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't have that level of volition that they can disobey Allah. Human beings on the other hand, since they have volition, they have the choice whether to obey or to disobey. So the way to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to follow the order of the angels. So all the uh, Islamic rites and rituals of ibadah are an exact mimicking of what the angels do in the heavens from 
your tasbih and your tahmeed saying alhamdulillah saying subhanallah and all your uh, you know issues of wudu wudu is a door a key to salat where you're purifying yourselves as if you are entering into the world of angels through physical purity and then when you're standing salat you are doing everything that the angels do in the heavens like reciting the quran and being ruku and being sujood and so on so the universality of salat is a representation of the ibadah of angels and the angels also run and they make tawaf around the Baytul Ma'mur which is in the heavens that house of Allah which is there and human beings mimic that as they go around and make tawaf around the Kaaba so any form of ibadah that exists in the heavens has been uh, replicated duplicated mimicked by believers on earth and Islam comprises all of that that's why Islam has the most comprehensive mode of ibadah as it represents the universality of the angels in the heavens and then when human beings get together as Muslims get together and do salat in congregation uh, they are in saf they are in rows and they are arranged as the angels also have rows and they are arranged according to their roles and according to their duties so in the salat of a believer you'll have the imam in the front he has a role you have men in the second place they have roles you have women in the third they have roles and you have children behind them and they have roles so this saf and business of organizing groups of people in prayer is where we get uh, the universality of how the angels arrange and organize their affairs in the heavens because the heavens are governed by the rule of angels and if some devil wants to come and impede the organization of the, of the angels in the heavens by trying to eavesdrop into their conversation uh, they are dealt with very ferociously and that is why the second ayah those who dispel and those who threaten they threaten devils and so on and thirdly we have a group, a group of angels all they do is they recite the Quran or make the dhikr of Allah and that is how human beings also should be that there's always somebody making dhikr of Allah on the planet 24-7 there's always someone making tawaf of the Kaaba 24-7 it never stops except when it's cleaned and when the what do you call it the cover uh, on the cloth of the Kaaba is changed it's the only time when there's no tawaf otherwise tawaf 24-7 360 days of the year there's always somebody making tawaf so anyway you see that Islam shows how to mirror the world of angels reflection of the angels on earth is through practicing the ritual ibadah of Islam and that's what gives you your nur that gives you your ability to understand time and how to understand barakah and nur and everything else which leads you to the nur of Allah which is one <laughs> 
and it is through that nur that he governs Rabbul Samawati wal Ard wa ma bainahuma wa Rabbul Mashariq that he is the lord of the heavens and the earth and whatever is in between the two and he is also the lord of all the positions and the points of the east yeah where the sun rises so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying once you have understood that he is one and the only one worthy of worship you must then also appreciate that he is the one who cares for you the most he is the one who takes care of you as a rabb he is the one who fosters you raises you provides for you and does everything for you as he has created the heavens and the earth for you and everything else in between it he has made for you so that he takes care of you and he provides for you and then obviously he is the lord of all the points and positions of where the sun rises in the east so wherever there is time and wherever there is the sun and light and wherever there is hope there is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we see this and that this series of ayat speak volumes about the intensity and the organization and the structure with which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala maintains his rububiyyah his being able to rule and govern administer foster rear raise sorry and care for everything that has created he has not left creation uh, to itself to govern itself and to maintain itself because i'm sure we would have uh, by now mm, done everything to destroy the world and the planet it would have taken maybe us uh, five years if not one year to destroy the whole planet if Allah was not our Lord no more than that we do a very good job in destroying we do a horrific job in creating all we do is destroy anyway so Allah is then that he is the Lord he is the Rabb uh, wherever there is time Mashariq where the sun rises at the points of sun rising in the east he is the lord and that sun rises 24/7 so he's always the lord right there's not a point in time on the globe when the sun is not rising is that true and there's never a point when it's not setting so it's always rising it's always setting who controls that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who administers that administers that amr and hukm for the sun and the moon and everything else to do what it does the angels govern that order and they administer and they are in files and ranks and columns and platoons and legions and they do this through their infrastructure which we don't know about if we knew about it, they say the human brain is the most organized thing in the universe which might be true with all the billions of neurons going through us <laughs> So we don't know how the brain functions uh, in order for us to do what we want to do. A single act of volition requires that millions of neurons are transmitted. Just a single act of volition, I should lie 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 when I say this, point my finger to the heavens. It requires millions of neurons in my brain to be transmitted in an organized way. Can you imagine the one who governs the heavens and the earth? How many millions and billions of Uh, angelic neurons need to come together uh, that's how you transpose and you meet up with your creator and this uh, here on earth 
is terrestrial and then in the heavens it's celestial. Right. So, the creation of the heavens and the earth is greater than the creation of man. What happens in the heavens and in the earth then is going to be far more sophisticated, complicated, organized, integral with this immense infrastructure in order to bring any of Allah's creation down onto earth. It requires this immense sophistication and the one who is the lord of this sophistication is Allah so you must worship him as someone who is a nobody basically so you annihilate yourself in front of Allah when you're worshiping him and you put yourself into his hands and say you are my lord and so on anyway so these ayat that describe the affairs of the angel aim to instill within the believer, the reader, and the worshipper this awe of the creator of the angels and the heavens and the earth. Once you've done that, then you've understood the ayah. If you haven't done that, then maybe you should. And as inshallah. Indeed, we have decorated and adorned the heaven which is close. Mm. Ad-dunya, the close one, meaning this world. Mm. The heaven of this world, the closest heaven, is now, Allah says, we have decorated it with the adornment of stars, the kawakib, which shows us something very essential and that is stars they exist where in the first heaven this ayah shows that all the stars in the universe or billions of them where do they exist they exist in samad dunya because they are used as lamps and they're used of uh, uh, ornaments and they're used as modes of adornment and decoration for people on earth and also people in the second heaven when they look down onto the first heaven and they see all these galaxies and Milky Ways and the abundance of stars, millions and millions of them. And when you look from the earth into the star-studded sky as if they were diamonds plotted in order and sequence, then you see that there is an adornment to this heaven. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation is that which is perfect and he wants the believer to appreciate the perfection even in the adornment so you have a house and you have a roof and in the ceiling and in the sky you have this the impeccable adornment and decoration and this is how Allah wants you to to uh, understand beauty and understand his creation and his creativity and that all of that beauty is organized and sophisticated and you must enjoy that which unfortunately we don't uh, because we live in the cities and the city lights come in the way and then we have to go out 50 miles in the boonies to see a star well, so maybe you should do that just go out for a retreat and enjoy the beauty of the heavens the stars studded sky at night uh, makes uh, your imagination flow uh, right
it should do. Anyway, this for the Bedouin Arab was a no-brainer. Well, he lived it every day. There were no lights in Makkah, and there were no lights in Medina. And as soon as people went to sleep, all they saw was the stars, that is sky. And they Subhanallah, Mashallah, Alhamdulillah. So that brings in a certain amount of not just romanticism, but faith and belief in the supreme creation and the perfect creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah creates, He creates perfectly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's production and manufacturing is now top notch. The one who has perfected everything. <coughs> so it is there for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. And we should seek this enjoyment and pleasure occasionally so that we are part of this ayah. And we observe this ayah in reality, not just in the textbook or on TV. We should go out there and enjoy it just for the sake of Inna zayyanna sama dunya All of those of you in, into camping, okay, kudos to you. Enjoy. <laughs> go and enjoy the camping for this reason. You might be rewarded for it instead of enjoying the camping for camping reasons. Then it becomes maybe a part of your ibadah, inshallah. But anyway, these are adornments and these are means of decoration for the people, the angels in the second heaven and also for people on earth where they can see and observe the glory, the beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every night and so on. And there are other uh, items and objects in the sky that Allah has created. What are they? Uh, they are means of protection. Okay. They are means of protection against those uh, devils who are rebellious. Against every rebellious devil the devil referring to the jinn. Groups of jinn go towards the first heaven where they want to eavesdrop into the conversation of the angels who are given the mandate for the next day or the next week or year. So they have this ability to glide throughout the sky. Who? The jinn. So there are various groups of jinns as mentioned in hadith. This group of jinn, what they do is that they, they glide towards the first heaven in order to eavesdrop and see if they can receive uh, information about what's going to happen. And the angels, they impart their knowledge and their mandate to each other. So they want to uh, kind of sneak in and see what it is they can hear. When they do that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, calls upon these angels who are mentioned in ayah number two. By those who threaten and they warn that they propel now a fire, balls of fire against these jinn. And they go out and what sometimes you have shooting stars okay, that do this. Okay. Anyway, so this is a phenomenon in uh, the sky which Wahi now ascribes uh, to. And what he confirms for us that this is also a phenomenon that in order to protect the first heaven, we have means of protection 
that are almost like missiles, mm. that they are balls of fire that are projected against the group of jinn, so that the jinn does not cause any turbulence and nonsense and chaos in the world. So this is also a phenomenon that we might observe occasionally, and so on. So, but since the Quran now declares this, this becomes a point of aqidah, not a point of physics. Right? So you must now separate what you learn in astronomy and physics from what you learn from wahi. What you learn from wahi, if it is conclusive, it's aqidah. Okay? It is foolproof. You cannot deny it. You cannot reject it. What you learn in a science book, you can reject and deny. Whatever you want. You can confirm it or not confirm. It doesn't matter. But it does matter if you do not confirm what Wahi tells you now. The idea that sometimes uh, the world of science confirms what Wahi says, that is coincidental. Okay? That's not the purpose. So we should not study science to prove the Quran. You study the Quran to act on it. It's for guidance, it's for hidayah, it's for your akhirah, and also well-being in the dunya. But you should not take on the study of any field in any science to prove that the Quran is true, because uh, that is retrogressive. Uh, that is counterproductive. Say you don't find anything through science that proves anything in the Quran, then what are you going to do? As they say, you're up the creek without a paddle, and also without water in the creek. Mm. You had nothing. Mm. So your foundation is your Iman, that the Quran is the Haq, Quran is the ultimate truth, and if the Quran says this, it is true, independent of what anyone else says or confirms or denies. It doesn't matter. Mm. Now, usually, alhamdulillah, through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we find that there is tremendous accuracy in what the Quran says. And this seems to unravel over time. This revelation unravels over time. Quran is revelation, it reveals the truth. So if Allah has revealed the truth about what happens in the heavens, then we must accept and we must go forward with this and not fall into a trap of saying, maybe what this is what the, ast the astronomers mean when they say this, and maybe this is what the physicists mean when they say this. Whatever they mean, uh, they mean, but it's not the reason why we read the Quran. They will never be able to listen to the angels who are in the higher council. They will never be able to listen into what is in the higher council the higher council being the higher council of angels and they are pelted uh, with uh, from all sides they are pelted from all sides when they come close to the heavens they want to reach and access what happens in the higher council of angels the higher council and the lower council right so the higher council of angels they are the ones that uh, if you want to say, they are the ones in the house. So they're the, you know, they're, they're the house. They're the senator and they're the house. Yeah. And then they have lower council. 
where they are the ones that execute the mandate. Hmm? So the higher council discusses the mandate and the lower council executes the mandate of angels. So there's a system there, there's a system of governance there. You know? So this is what we mean by Al-Mala'ul A'la, which is mentioned here, is mentioned in the next surah, Surah Al-Sa'd, is mentioned in so many hadith that there is a higher council of angels and what those angels do is that they receive the Amr command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from angels who are higher than them like Jibreel and Israfil and they sit and they discuss how this is going to be done well, and they discuss the merits and the value of all the mandate uh, every mandate and every command also so it's not just that they receive and they execute they actually discuss there's a process if you want like a process of legislating the bill before the bill passes there's going to be a discussion so likewise before any command of Allah is going to be executed it has to pass through the Mali'ala the higher council this is the sophisticated organization we find mentioned in Wahi there's not speculation this ayah this, this word Mali'ala is mentioned here is mentioned in Surah Sa'd where with that one in Surah Sa'd is the word يَخْتَصِمُونَ yeah, that they argue so why do you argue? you argue about the, the what do you call it the veracity of a statement or you argue about the utility of a statement so they're not arguing about the veracity of the statement they're arguing about the utility and the method by which you're going to execute when they argue they do this so in a hadith of the Prophet he said that what is the Malal'ala, the higher council, what are they arguing about? So they're arguing about the best deeds, that the best deed is perhaps that you wake up early in the morning on a very, very uh, cold winter night and you make wudu and then you get ready for salat. So that is the best amal. So at that time, that was the mandate. And this is how the Prophet heard this and that's what he now told the Sahaba. So now, there are many other affairs that are uh, regulated, legislated, and there, there they are, um, what's the word? Mm. They are vetted through the process of the Mali'ala, mm. the higher council. Okay. So the lower council is here on the first heaven, and the higher council is beyond that. So these devils, they will never be listened into what the Mali'ala say. If they attempt to do that, they are pelted. From all places. And they are banished from there. And then they, for them, there is a, a torment, there is a punishment which, is last, which lasts forever. And then they, they are captured and they are seized and they are punished and they want to cause chaos and commotion on earth by disrupting the execution of this command by trying to inform people, human beings, that if this comes then you must do this, you must take evasive action against this and this is how they try to cause commotion on earth. So Allah's will has to be done. So there's a force and there's a counterforce and the counterforce being the devil in the universe and so on. This is how we see this remarkable phenomenon being uh, exposed 
by the Quran. So this has, so in your own human body you have, you have antibodies, right? <laughs> it's not new to the human human being that there's always going to be something that is going to be useful and things that are going to be detrimental. And that's why you have all of these uh, forms of um, biot biotics and antibiotics and poison and things that relieve you of your poison in your body and so on. You know the signs. Right. So there's going to be a force and there's going to be a counter force. Just as in the human body this is real, likewise in the body of the universe this is real. There's going to be forces and there are going to be counter forces. The counter forces are called the devil, shaitan. And that's how the language of the Quran is made up. Except perhaps that somebody is able to snatch a word here and there. That he seizes and captures a small, very, very small portion where maybe a statement is released by the angels and this one devil hears one portion of the statement and he takes that statement back to the soothsayers and the fortune tellers or the jinn or whoever and then they cause commotion and corruption in the universe. And it is based on this that the Prophet ﷺ did not like bad omen. Okay. He severely discouraged the Ummah from going into any form of soothsaying, fortune telling, otherwise that's kufr. You can't do that. You can't go to somebody and say, tell me my fortune. <laughs> if you do that, that is kufr. You are kafir. You have to say your kalima again. Muhammad, that he has made kufr of what has been revealed to Muhammad So good omen is fine, bad omen is no good. But since soothsayers and fortune tellers and these psychists, right, what they do, psychics, they, they, they tell you both, they'll tell you the good and the bad, so therefore both is kufr. So you must stay away from both institutions. You can't mess with that because that messes with your brain and that causes commotion, confusion in you that leads to pessimism and that leads to fatalism and that leads to inertia and lethargic attitudes towards life, which is not a positive light. And that's why Islam says no. You, even if they capture or seize one or two statements, it is not the whole truth. It's only a portion of the truth and therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes these people also. Then what follows this devil is a flame which is very bright and very, very, very burning. Shihab and Thaqib. So this Shihab, which is a flame, now goes after this one devil and then kills and destroys this devil. Meaning that the world as we know it, the terrestrial world, obviously is full of uh, uh, gimmicks and gadgets for intelligence, mm. right? That all governments have uh, their gadgets uh, to spy on you uh, and now through satellites and all of that, even more so. Likewise, in the government of the heavens, there are going to be intelligence scouts and counter-intelligence scouts and so on. It's the same order the same order, the same system, yeah. except that it's a bit more exciting there than it is here. 
You probably want to see a movie of how the devils are being uh, pelted with missiles rather than seeing how the espionage of Russia and America works and that kind of boring stuff. Mm. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah. So anyway, that's how this world order works. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as I said, the Quran is a revelation, it's going to reveal. The Quran is revealing the reality of how things work in the first heaven. This is how it works. Now, what is your position on that? One is that it is true, and I believe it. And number two, how can I benefit from that knowledge? Yeah. What is the utility of this knowledge? The utility will be based on how much you believe. If you don't believe it, there's no utility, period. If you believe it, then you may be able to use it to your advantage, which we won't tell you. That's classified. We can't tell you. We don't have a government that can use this kind of knowledge. When we did have a government, we used it. Because the counterforce to the devil is who? The angel. Yeah, so Muslims have been known to use angels in their daily lives all the time. All the time. But anyway, that's through the dhikr and ibadah and good deeds and so on. Attracting the divine help or angelic help or celestial help known as madad is part and parcel of Muslim culture. That's in our DNA. We do it all the time. We do it consciously, we do it subconsciously. That is how we say that instead of going through the devil, we go through the angel. And that system is now kept secret so that you do the act without knowing how it works. When you go to a doctor, he tells you, tell the pill, uh, take the pill, it'll help you. He doesn't, he doesn't tell you how it works, especially if it's a placebo, right? He ain't going to tell you anything. Take this, you'll feel better. Likewise, when people come and they ask for madad and help and assistance from the celestial world, first, you must believe. And second, if it's prescribed, then don't ask how it works. That is a, what, what do you call it, um, uh, ingratitude, number one. And number two, it is against the rules. You don't ask how things work. Because the person prescribing him probably doesn't know himself. It's kept secret. Yeah. Even from people who do do this, yeah, it comes the way it comes. It is uh, spontaneous. It is through intuition sometimes. And it is through reading the manuals of people who have written on this, how you seek madad and help from the celestial world, just as uh, the devils try to uh, penetrate and disturb the lives of human beings. Likewise, the angels are there through their dhikr. Fattaliyati dhikra, the third ayah, refers to this type of madad, those who follow the dhikr. One meaning of taliya is what? To follow, right? means to follow. Those who follow the modes and the models and the modules and the forms of prescription, they exist in the first heaven for your benefit, except that you will not know how it's done. So you don't know how your body actually reacts or uh, heals itself. Some people may know, but that is only if you've studied that. 
most people don't know how the body resists germs and illnesses and sicknesses and perhaps even how the body cures disease it's by itself sometimes. <coughs> people don't know that. Those are experts, they know because they studied it. It took them 20, 30 years to get to where they eventually get to. But the 99.99% of people don't know. Likewise, here in this surah, when you know your Lord, your ilah is one, and you know that Allah is the Lord and the Rabb of the heavens and the earth and everything between it, you know that there is always going to be a spiritual component to your existence which you cannot deny. And you must approve and appreciate this spiritual component and use some spiritual methods to improve you and improve your life. Maybe not necessarily lifestyle, but at least your life should be improved. And you should improve so that you have faith and belief in that system and you have the ability to worship Allah as one. And we make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the tawfiq to read these ayat, to benefit from them and to apply from apply what needs to be applied through them, inshallah. We'll all see you soon. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanallah bihamdi. Subhanakumullah bihamdi. Alhamdulillah.